Ben. There we go. Cool. As I said, uh, Pastor Nick uh, is not feeling well, so I have the great privilege and honor to bring the word to you this morning. And uh, we are in the midst of a series going through the Apostles' Creed. And uh, we're making our way through the Creed today, talking specifically about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, Christianity is a monotheistic religion, meaning we believe in one God. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And while we believe in one God, we also believe in a Trinitarian God. That means we believe in one God in three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, The Holy Spirit is God. They are co-equal and co-eternal. And while we understand much about the Trinity and we we can study it and we can think about it and ponder it until we're blue in the face, there's simply going to be things about the Trinity we as humans are never going to understand. And one reason why this doctrine is so difficult to comprehend is that we are forgetting the creator creation distinction. And what I mean by that is that God is God, and we are not. We are made in his image, not the other way around. And while we are made in his image to, to, to reflect his glory, we are still limited. We are still way sh- smaller, way less than God could, the, our imagination could ever comprehend of our God. One heresy that arose early in the church was the idea of modalism. Modalism says that God takes on different modes. Sometimes he's the father, but then over here he is expressed as the son, Jesus. But then over here he's expressed as the Holy Spirit. And so this God just changes modes depending on certain times in history, certain revelations, and likewise. But we don't believe this because... Scripture doesn't teach that. In fact, we know this isn't true because at Jesus' baptism, we see all three present. In the Great Commission, we see that we are to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, emphasizing three distinct persons. Now, there's much that we could say about the Spirit. There's entire libraries dedicated to who the Holy Spirit is. And in one sense, we could say that the remainder of the Apostles' Creed is about the outworking, the outpouring, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be tackling a little bit more of that next week. But today, we're going to see what Jesus had to say about the Spirit before he was arrested, before he was crucified. And what we're going to see is that the Spirit has come to bless the church and to convict the world. And my hope is that through this word, as we study it today, that you would be greatly encouraged, not just in your faith, but also as a healthy reminder of what God has called you to do and to be because of how he's empowered you. Our text today is from John chapter 16. And here at Timberline, we invite you to stand with us as we read because we believe scripture comes with God's full authority And we together are joining under the authority of the scripture as a body. So we are reading from John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. 
This is Jesus speaking. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that I will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Our Father, we bless your name, for it is mighty and greater than anything else that we could imagine. And we are humbled knowing that we could never begin to approach your greatness and your glory, even as we imagine it and as we try to understand it, our minds simply fall short. Father, remind us of that as we look into your word today. Remind us of that need for humility and the utter reliance that we have on your spirit to bring us wisdom and clarity and understanding. And so right now, we invite the Holy Spirit here into this place to convict our hearts, but to also give us wisdom and understanding as we explore this text and what it means. Father, I pray that you will work in us and through us for the glory of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage, right off the bat, we hear that the Spirit comes... To benefit the church. In verse 7, Jesus says, It is to our advantage that Jesus leaves so that the Helper would come and bless us. Helper meaning the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has various names that he is known by in Scripture the Comforter, the Healer. Um, the list is quite extensive. Why is it to our advantage, though, to have the Holy Spirit and not Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit better than Jesus? No, it is not. First, we have, if we have the Spirit, it means that Jesus has been glorified and crowned as King. So if we have the Spirit, we're already starting in a position of good news. Because if we have the Spirit, it means that Jesus has already been victorious. Catch this from John chapter 7, verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given. Because why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. It is because Jesus died and risen from the grave and now sits at the right hand of God the Father that we have the Spirit. If Jesus had not risen, we wouldn't have the Spirit. So the fact that we have the Spirit means that what? It means that death has been conquered already. It means Satan has already been defeated. 
And it means our sin debt has already been paid. Without the Spirit, none of that is possible. Without Jesus sending the Spirit, none of that is in existence. The coming of the Spirit means that God's kingdom has been established here on earth through the cross. It means that all the Old Testament prophecies pointing towards Jesus have been fulfilled. Secondly, the Spirit has come to empower us as He empowered the Son. From birth to resurrection, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Luke 1.35. Jesus was baptized by the Holy Spirit, Luke 3.21. Jesus, was, Jesus battled Satan through the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke 4.1. Jesus was empowered for all ministry by the Holy Spirit, Luke 4.18. Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit, Romans 11. So everything Jesus did was through the Spirit. And now we know that we can, and now we who have trusted in Jesus have received that same Spirit so that we would be empowered by that Spirit. But not just empowered by the Spirit, but that the Spirit would transform us. It's a very big key here. We like to skip over all the muck in our lives and go straight to the good stuff. I got the Holy Spirit. I got this, yo. But are you being transformed into the image of the Son? Otherwise, that other part doesn't exist. It not only does it not exist... It's impossible. If Jesus did everything through the Spirit, what exactly do you think you're going to accomplish on your own? Chew on that for a second. So what does this look like? All right, we're going to go through a hurricane of Scripture here. You ready? Because of the Spirit, we have been spiritually made alive. Titus 3.5. Because of the Spirit, we have been adopted into God's family, and we call him Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6. Because of the Spirit, we have access to God, Ephesians 2, 18. Because of the Spirit, our inheritance in Christ is guaranteed, Ephesians 1, 14. There's a lot more here, guys. Because of the Spirit, we have been sealed for the day of redemption, Ephesians 4, 30. Because of the Spirit, we are able to overcome sin, Galatians 5, 16. Because of the Spirit, we are able to kill sin, Romans 8, 13. I am halfway through. These are Nick's notes, by the way. Because of the Spirit, we display the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Galatians 5.22. Because of the Spirit, we have been gifted and equipped to build up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12. Because of the Spirit, we abound in hope. Romans 15. Because of the Spirit... Ooh, this is a good one. This is the last one, too. Because of the Spirit... We will rise from the grave just as Jesus did. Romans 8.11 Everything about the Christian life is possible from beginning to end only because of the Spirit dwelling in you. The Christian life is not about becoming a little better. It's not a self-help class on seven ways to think positively. 
It's not some mental mantra that we can exercise in order to receive the gifts of the world. That's prosperity gospel. The Christian life is about the God of the universe dwelling in you. So in the context of this passage, we see that it is because of the Spirit that we are also able to stand firm in persecution. In John 15, 18, Jesus says that just as the world hated him, it, the world, will hate us. Remember, Jesus has established his kingdom on earth, which opposes all earthly kingdoms, all earthly powers, which are going to be spiritual forces acted out through human means. Persecution is done through people, but the influence behind that is definitely from a spiritual force. And that's the kingdom that Jesus came to destroy and to conquer. So it's in the context of persecution that Jesus says that we will also receive the Spirit. It's because the Spirit that we can love, that we can forgive, that we can be merciful, that we can be patient, that we can have joy in the midst of suffering. That's impossible to do on our own strength. The Christian life is not about us working ourselves up so that we can be emotionally healthy. It's about trusting in the person of the Spirit who dwells in us. How, though? How does the Spirit empower us? What does that look like? Well, it looks like truth. The Spirit comes to guide the church in truth. This is from verses 12 through 15. Notice in verse 13 that the Spirit is called what? The Spirit of truth. We see this title given to the Spirit also in John 15, 26 and in 14, 17. Being that the Holy Spirit is God, all that he says and does is perfect, righteous, and therefore full of truth. Because he is truth, we read that he guides us into truth. Never will the Spirit lead us into a lie or a deception. Never will the Spirit lead us against anything in this book. Because this is God's Word. Inspired by whom? The Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is never going to contradict His own words. He will never lead us astray. We can fully trust and that we will never be disappointed. But what does it mean that the Spirit guides us into truth? Well, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the Spirit is truth, but so is Jesus. Jesus is also truth. J.I. Packer said, The ministry of the Spirit is like a floodlight, and Jesus is the one who's being illuminated. When we read that the Spirit is truth and that he will guide us in truth, that means he is going to lead us to a better understanding of Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit comes to glorify the Son. Everything the Spirit does is about helping us better understand Jesus so that Jesus would be glorified. 
In verse 13, we see that the Spirit speaks to us. But he doesn't just tell us anything. He's not a, a magic eight ball that we can shake and, oh, no, I don't want to do that today. He's not a horoscope. He's not a fortune teller. He's not one of those machines that you put quarters in and you pops out a piece of paper, oh, here's your fortune. So how does he speak to us? At the end of verse 13, we see that he tells us about the things that are to come. Now, we need to be careful here, for it's here that many people have created a wrong understanding of the Spirit. Many people believe that the Spirit gives us new revelations about Jesus. Remember what I said before? If it's different from what's in here, it ain't from the Spirit. But that's not the context of what Jesus is saying here. Let's go back to verse 12. Jesus is specifically talking to his original disciples in this moment. And upon hearing that Jesus was going to leave them, they become distraught. They become sad. They become depressed. And they're like, where are we going to go? You're supposed to be the Messiah. You're supposed to kick out the Romans. You're supposed to be the conquering king. And you're saying you're leaving? That's not cool. So they get depressed. They get downtrodden. And Jesus sees it on their faces. And he hears it in the tone of their voice. And he says... I'm sending you the Spirit because you cannot bear to hear any more right now. Why? Your brains are elsewhere. Your brains are fixated on the fact that, that I'm leaving. And so you're, 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 your soul is heavy and laden right now. And so I'm going to send the Helper to reveal more to you. Many people believe that the Spirit gives us new revelations about Jesus. Those are called cults, and they exist everywhere, in many shapes and forms, in many countries. But that's not what this text is saying. The text isn't saying that I today can come up with a new revelation that isn't already in here. No, absolutely not. And if anybody comes to you and says, I have a brand new revelation, the Holy Spirit has revealed something to me. But not any of you yet, so let me give you my wisdom. Red flag. Big red flag. Let's go back to verse 12. Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples who are downtrodden, who are sad, who just heard that Jesus is leaving. And he says, the Spirit is going to come upon you to inspire you to continue finishing this book. The primary application of those verses is that the Spirit will be given to the apostles so that they will be guided in truth and better understand the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus better so that we could have the New Testament today. This exists because the Holy Spirit came and revealed to them. Now, you, it's an awesome story if you read through Acts. So Peter was this fisherman, right? And he was a fisherman not because he was extremely wise. He wasn't a fisherman because he was extremely educated. In fact, quite the opposite. He was a fisherman because that's all he was smart enough to do. And yet after the Holy Spirit, he's up there preaching, quoting from the Old Testament as if he was raised by rabbis. And he had a clear understanding of the prophecies. Where do you think that came from? That came from the Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 says, 
no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Which is how we know that this was inspired. While I believe that is the primary meaning of the text, I do not deny the continual work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we'll get to that point in just a moment. The Spirit is given for the church's understanding of God's Word. Now, we don't receive new understanding of Jesus as though it was brand new revelation, but through the giving of the Spirit, we are able to understand the truth of God's Word as it is today. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except who? The Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we may understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by whom? The Spirit. You guys are catching on. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, to those who have the Spirit, the Spirit that reveals, the Spirit that shows us Jesus everywhere in this book. Every time you read the Word, the Spirit is working in you to give you understanding, to point you to Jesus, to glorify Jesus. If the Holy Spirit in you is not glorifying Jesus through you, it's time for a gut check. Studying God's Word is the work of the Holy Spirit as it transforms us today. So what do we do with that? How do we do that? How do we study this Word? Man, that's a whole nother teaching, preaching section that we'll get to. And we do that here at Timberline. We, we study this because this is the only thing that's inspired by the Creator God. So I encourage you, if you are not in a, in a community of, of studying the, of God's Word, um, see somebody with a name tag. Well, you're all wearing name tags. See me after service. I'd love to point you in the right direction. So far, we've seen that the Spirit has come to equip and empower the church. The Spirit has come so we would have the Word and be able to understand it. Remember, He inspired it, but then He also helps us understand it by revealing it to us, by pointing us to truth. Now, let's look at one more reason the Spirit has come, and that's going to be in verses 8 through 11. The Spirit comes to convict the world. In verse 8, we see the Spirit has come to convict the world, and the word convict occurs 18 times in the New Testament. And always it has to do with exposing sin, something we hate having done to us. The purpose behind that exposure, though, is always to drive us towards repentance. The Spirit comes, in a sense, like a prosecutor. And in verses 9 through 11, Jesus tells us the Spirit convicts the world 
in three specific areas. Verse 9 says, The Spirit will come concerning, convict concerning sin. The Spirit is given to convict the world of their unbelief in Jesus Christ. In John 3.19, Jesus says, He is the light that has come into the darkness, but the people loved the darkness, so they ran to it and hid in it, because they did not want their sins exposed. They rejected Jesus. They rejected the source of light. The Spirit comes to continue as that floodlight, exposing the sin of the world, exposing our sin, but also the world out there that is not yet heard. And that sin, guys, that sin is a big three-letter word, and it simply means your rebellion. Anything that you do that rebels against the Creator God is sin. Anything you do to ignore what He's commanded you to do is sin. Second one. Verse 10 says, The Spirit has come to convict us concerning righteousness. The Spirit comes to convict us of our false righteousness. In our sin, we don't think that we need a Savior. In our sin, we think that we can take care of the problem of sin on our own by, by being good enough, by doing enough, by acting a certain way, by giving of my time and my resources. All of this self-righteousness is is just as exposed because it's not glorifying Jesus. When Jesus says, because I go to the Father, you will see me no longer, he's referring to the fact that the world has rejected him and the world is about to crucify him. In John 11.10, the Pharisees meet to talk about Jesus and they agree that it's the best plan of action that we kill this Jesus guy. They actually plot a murder. Because of sin, we think we don't need a Savior. We might need someone to help us or give us a boost every now and then. Kind of like that magic eight ball, Holy Spirit. I need some strength today, Jeannie. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that we are utterly reliant on the Spirit for every moment of our lives, that we are completely filthy, disgusting humans apart from the righteousness of God. It actually says that in Isaiah 64, 6. It says that whatever righteousness we think we have is actually filthy, bloody rags. And I don't want to get too graphic on what that actually means, but it's a very Old Testament thing. And it's gross. That's our righteousness compared to the righteousness of God. You see, we are blind to the fact that we are spiritually dead and under the wrath of God. We are like dead corpses in the city morgue, and we expect us to be able to, to produce life out of these corpses, and that's just not possible. We need someone to come and give us life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then the third one, verse 11. The Holy Spirit has come to convict concerning judgment. Uh-oh, he's talking about judgment. We don't like talking about judgment. The Spirit has come that we would understand that at the cross, Jesus has judged the world, has judged sin, has judged Satan. And if we continue to reject Jesus, who is glorified, 
and given a name above all names, like we talked about last week, and sits at the right hand of God from whence he will judge the living and the dead. If we reject that, we are still under the wrath of God. If we reject the cross, we reject Jesus. If we reject Jesus, we reject this spotlight pointed at our sin. If we continue to run to the darkness, we remain under the wrath of Almighty God, eternal and forever. So how does the world, how does the Spirit convict the world of its sins? How does it convict the world of its of its false righteousness, of its self-righteousness? How does the world, how does the Spirit convict the world of judgment? In Acts 2, Peter stands up before a large crowd and he gives the gospel, the first recorded preaching of the gospel after Jesus' ascension. He explains that Jesus is the Son of God, the long-awaited King from the line of David, and then Peter very pointedly says, you rejected him and you crucified him. And he says that in your sin and in your self-righteousness and in your judgment, you killed the Holy Son of God. And what happens? It's awesome. Acts 2, verse 37 and 38. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the righteousness of your sins and for the receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit works through the proclamation of the Word as the church takes it out to the ends of the earth, takes it to their neighbors, takes it down the street, takes it across town, takes it to the next state over, takes it to India. That is how the world falls under this conviction from hearing the word. It's the vehicle by which the Holy Spirit of truth gets announced to an unsaved, to a dying world as we proclaim the gospel as Peter did in Acts chapter 2. You and I have been given the Spirit of God. If you are in Christ, you have been given the Spirit of God to equip and to strengthen you. We have the Spirit so that we could become like Jesus, just as Jesus was empowered by the Spirit, just as Jesus was led by the Spirit, just as Jesus did nothing except for what the Spirit told him to do, we are to do likewise. So what does this mean? How do we apply this to our lives today? What does this mean for your community? What does this mean for your family? What does this mean for your job place, your home? What does it mean for our church? If all of this is just good information, we've missed the point. The point is this Holy Spirit that Jesus sent is not just some stagnant figure like a, like a pin we wear on our shirt. It's not some label that we put on. It's an active, living, breathing force. It is God Almighty at work 
in your life to empower you, to, to build you up, to give you understanding, to help you in the face of persecution. It is of vital importance that we understand our role and the Holy Spirit's role. We do not convict people of their sin. We do not convict people of their self-righteousness. We do not convict people through judgment. When we start doing those things, we're taking the Holy Spirit's job and making it our job. And I will tell you right now, we are not equipped for it. And we will hurt people. And we will do damage to the good news of the gospel. So what is our role? What is our job? What do we do with this? When we try to argue or convince someone into repentance, it's not going to be genuine because it didn't come from the Spirit. Our job, our role, is to share this good news, to proclaim it, to, to pass out Bibles, to tell people about the only living hope as we sang about in worship. Jesus Christ is our living hope. That's what we do. That is our job. That is our purpose. And it is through this gospel, sharing this gospel, that we do this. What someone will or not believe, that is entirely and utterly out of our control and is completely up to the Holy Spirit. But will you, church, will you be faithful to share this gospel where you're at? In your home, to your children, to your elderly parents, to your neighbors, to your cousins, to your family, to your co-workers, to your mops group, to your fellow students at school. There's no age limit here, guys. It doesn't matter if you're 98 or 8. You can share the gospel. Will you allow the Holy Spirit of truth to embolden you and bless you when you feel like giving up, when you feel like compromising, when you feel like it's just too hard? Will you be empowered by the Spirit as you discipline yourself to study this? Will you ask the Holy Spirit before you open this and say, Holy Spirit, I am powerless to understand this without your help. Will you do that? And then will you believe that this Holy Spirit is capable of revealing to you truth that will glorify Jesus? Will you submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in you as he, as he shines that spotlight, not just on the sinful world, but on sinful you? As he reveals things in your heart and in your attitude and your behavior that is not glorifying the Son? And will you repent from that? We are inviting people to a relationship with the king of the universe. To a relationship with God Almighty. And that relationship, that, that, that union we have with Christ includes the spirit of God Almighty in us. And that's good news. Because we don't have to do this on our own. We don't have to try to beat our heads against this to try to understand it. We don't have to go and argue our neighbors into faith in Christ. We can't do those things because they're impossible. We have good news. We have 
the Spirit of God with us. So what is that Spirit revealing to you today? In a few moments, we're going to take communion. And before we do that, I'm going to pray, but I would ask you for just a moment. If you've been listening and, and you hear the Holy Spirit shining a light somewhere in your life, there's a place in your bulletin to just write down a few, a few thoughts. We're not going to put this up on Facebook. We're not going to collect your deep, dark secrets and announce it to the world. But just, just pause for a moment and consider. Do I believe the Holy Spirit is God Almighty dwelling in me? And if I do, what is he revealing to me about myself that is not glorifying God? What is he revealing about myself that prevents me from sharing this gospel with those around me? Don't leave here without doing that work. I urge you. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise your name. We glorify your name. And we thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to die for our sins and our wretchedness. Even when we were still in rebellion against you, you loved us enough to send your only son to die for us. And we thank you that he did not stay dead, but that by the power of your spirit, you raised him from the dead and you glorified him. And that he sits at your right hand now, advocating on our behalf. I thank you that your son Jesus sent the Spirit, your Spirit, the Holy Spirit to come and indwell in us, to seal us as part of your family for all of eternity, to bind us together as a community of believers, to convict us and to train us and to teach us and to reveal the glory of Jesus to us in Scripture. Father, we acknowledge that the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is hard and we fight against it. And so I ask right now, I ask boldly for humility and submission, a submissive heart in all of us in this room that we would be willing to set aside our desires and our goals and our self-righteousness and ask your Spirit to reveal areas in our lives where we are falling short. We thank you for your spirit. I'm going to invite the men forward now as we